Woo! Saul is in trouble. Yes. I want to share with you an image as I begin today, and that is uh, an image of the desert. There, even though the desert is a bleak place, there are still animals that exist in the desert. Two of those are a vulture and the hummingbird. Now, what's interesting about the vulture and the hummingbird is that the vulture sees only that which is dead, because that's what he eats. He sees nothing else but the dead carcasses that, uh, that lay beneath him. The hummingbird, on the other hand, ignores, does not see what is dead, but rather sees the blossoms of the plants of the desert. For it is from those blossoms that the hummingbird drinks the sweetness of nectar. Vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. Hummingbirds, on the other hand, live on what is. They seek new life and fill themselves with sweetness. The point is this. Each bird sees what their eyes are open to see. This month, we're focusing on the ways we can connect our lives to the rivers of living water, the rivers that flow from Jesus as he speaks of it in John chapter 7, verse 38. And today, we look at the story of King Saul and what really is the final straw that breaks the back of God's patience. Despite Samuel's warnings, Saul and his self-concern creates a spiritual dam that blocks off the living waters that come from God, the direction that comes from God. And what I'd like to do this morning is for us together to consider how maybe Saul's story can be our story. And how we can guard ourselves to hearing only our own voice instead of God's. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. May these words be your words. And for all, O oh God, that I do not speak, that you would have me speak, fill in the gaps, O oh God, within our hearts, that this day all would hear your word for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, the phrase is emphatic. Okay? Listen to the words of the Lord. Listening to God... And following God's command was the job of the king. Now, the king would rule over the people. Uh, the king would go to battle to defend the, the, the Hebrew nation. 
But the job of the king was to be the conduit of God. And no decision or action was to be taken without hearing the words of the Lord. Now, at issue in this passage is God's command to wipe out the Amalekites. <laughs> and, and not only wipe them out, but destroy everything. Burn all the cities, all the, uh, all, and destroy all the cattle, all the, all the flocks. And for most Christians, this is a disturbing story. Awful almost. What's happening here? Why is God commanding this mass destruction of the Amalekites? Well, let's look at a little bit of history, and I'm not defending God here, but <laughs> because I have those same questions. But the Amalekites had been raiding the, the camps and the villages, the Hebrews, since the time that they left slavery in Egypt. They would kill indiscriminately and take women and children into slavery. They were, they were one of the main sources of problem for the Hebrew people in that time. Now, Saul probably had the same thoughts and reservations that we do, or at least I do. Maybe you don't. Why wipe out a whole people? Isn't this genocide? How can this be of God? And more selfishly, why waste all the spoils? I mean, just look what we could do with the flocks. And so, Saul follows his own thinking. He allows his soldiers to take the best of the flocks. It doesn't say this in, the, in, in this particular passage, but we know later that they also took some other spoils. He then takes King Agai, Agag as a prisoner. Now, Historically, we know that Saul did destroy, other than the flocks and other things, the people that he advanced on. But what we also know historically is that when he captured Agag, he stopped his advance. There were several other tribes of the Amalekites that were left. And in fact, what we know historically is that for another 300 years until the time of King Hezekiah, the Amalekites continued to raid, continued to kill indiscriminately, and continued to take women and children into slavery. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us why Saul stops his army. We can surmise that he must have thought when he captured Agag that he could use him as leverage. You know, he could use him as, as, as leverage and maybe make a deal with him and not have to wipe everybody out. Or maybe, maybe it was be, that the men in their care and having to, to, to uh, oversee the flocks, that had consumed their time and taken away their will to fight and to do battle. We don't know, but we do know that Saul stopped. Saul was caught in the same trap that we often find ourselves. We see the short term. We see what's in front of us. 
We see the day-to-day. We see what our eyes are open to see. Like the desert vultures, through the circumstances of our situations and our lives. As such, we are oftentimes, as Saul, blinded to the fullness of God's presence. And the waters and rivers of the living waters of Jesus. We are distracted. And there are many sounds that command our attention. Here's just a few. The sounds of ads, the sounds of our employers, the sounds of families, the sounds of devices, and all demanding an answer now. I mean, I wonder sometimes how in the world anybody can find time to listen to God. What are the sounds that fill your ears? Like Saul, we are conduits as followers of Jesus Christ for the purpose of God in this world. And as such, that purpose becomes a reality as we listen to the words of God. Now, in verse 10 and 11, Saul gets his job performance review, and it's not pretty. It's really not pretty. And, uh, God says to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. He's turned his back from me, following me. He's not carried out my commands. And Samuel's angry. But you know what? Samuel doesn't know how bad it really is. Because the next day when he goes out to search for Saul, Saul is out on a victory tour. He has built a monument to himself. Samuel's having to, the scriptures it's not exactly clear, but you can, you can see what's implied here. Samuel had to track him down. Huh. Now we begin to see the problem, don't we? Saul has not only stopped listening to God, he's working to put himself in the place of God. Whether it's the accolades and praise of the people, the songs of victory, or whether it's the military success. Paul, Saul has been seduced. And he's listening only to the voice of his own ego. And when confronted by Samuel, Saul dismisses him by claiming that he's committed God's commands when in fact he's not. And his excuses either are a lie or a gross self-deception. You know, as I've looked at this picture and really read the whole story of Saul, he is a, he's, he's a picture of the human dilemma. Because we want to be in control, right? We, um, we love to be admired. And And we love to collect our monuments of security and convenience to convince ourselves that everything's going to be okay. We rationalize that what we have done is what God really wanted. Have you ever done that? Well, that's really what God wanted. 
I know what God's word says, but you know, even when we know down deep, it's what we want. The result is we lose sight of God for the sake of serving our immediate needs. And in these moments, the living waters are reduced to a trickle and we starve. Now, Saul's relationship with God is broken. That does not mean that our relationship with God has to be broken. And what we see in chapter 15 is only the beginning of the unraveling of Saul. Because Saul's unwillingness to admit his failure and to truly confess sends him on a journey to where by the end of his life, he's conjuring up evil spirits. He loses his mind. But it all started here, not listening to God's voice. Now, there is one passage I want to deal with because you probably are thinking now, well, what about verse 24 and 25? Because it seems like Saul is trying to make amends there. It seems like that there's a confession and, and you say that Saul was unrepentant, but, but what about these words? I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray, pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship God. The problem is Saul is not really asking God for forgiveness. And you see this particularly in the Hebrew. Saul is petitioning Samuel for his forgiveness. and, And he knows that Samuel has the ear of the people. He knows that Samuel is, is a prophet of God. He's politicking Samuel to help him get out of this fix. He doesn't ask God for forgiveness. He says, Samuel, will you forgive me? With no regard for God. We get caught in this, don't we? We do just enough, we think, to please God without true change. And instead, we continue to build a dam between us and God, cutting off the living waters of Jesus, brick by brick, step by step. Saul can hear and see only his frantic efforts to control the circumstances of his life. So what about us? Um, What are the challenges that keep us from hearing God's voice? What keeps us from slowing down to develop our relationship with God? Well, I want to offer a couple of things this morning. The first step is um, to recognize what's holding us back on the inside. Um, What's blocking the flow of the Spirit? For we all need to step back and do an evaluation on a regular basis. Here are some questions that you might want to ask. Do we have unresolved emotions like anger, bitterness, sadness, fear, or regret? Those are not of God. 
Are there negative life-shaping events in our past that we relive over and over again? Have we compartmentalized God into days or places so that on the other days and the other places, well, you get it. Have we made our life with God a collection of activities rather than really getting to know God? And there may be other questions that we could ask. We could probably spend a whole hour just examining what it would mean to look at ourselves to deal with what is holding us back and damming up the flow of the living waters of of Jesus. The point is this. God calls us to a genuine selfless connection. And each of us have our own struggles, temptations, disappointments, and personal challenges to overcome in our relationship with God. Every spiritual journey is different. The good news is, God doesn't change. God is not different. Even though our spiritual walks are different, our Lord is the same. And God has brought us together in all of our differences to bless each other, to grow with each other, to challenge each other, to support each other, we can be assured that God loves us more than we can ever know. Jesus gave his life for us. And through Jesus, the living waters cannot be held back if we but just take the steps to open the way. Now, the second step is to take the time. And just an hour or two on Sunday morning is really not enough, is it? It's really not enough to really, truly open our eyes and ears to what God has for us. And for this reason, I want to share with you what our church is doing. And I'm sure you've already heard but especially for those online. Here, we have recommitted ourselves to helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to provide opportunities, not just on Sunday morning, but at other times so that people can make that connection with God to receive and drink from the living waters of Jesus Christ. This month, we're offering emotionally healthy spirituality. And during the eight-week study, We'll explore and practice activities that will bring us closer to God through Jesus Christ. We will join with others to discuss, explore, and at times be challenged to take new paths of listening to God and following God's voice. In fact, this morning's scripture is the first lesson's primary scripture for the day. What stands in the way of our relationship with God? Later this spring, during the season leading up to Easter, I'm going to be preaching a series on called To Know Him More, Seeing the Real Jesus. And each Sunday leading up to Easter, we're going to explore the events of Jesus uh, that, that were right before the crucifixion to, to, to really get in touch with, with, the, with the, the sacrificial nature of Jesus Christ and the love of God that's being poured out on us. And each week... There'll be groups that will be formed during the week. We call them core groups. 
for those online that don't necessarily know what that means. Um, and they will be dealing with the same scripture. A starting place to dig dip deeper into our relationship with God. I'm convinced that the greater our understanding ourselves and the greater our understanding of our Lord, our eyes can be open to see the things of God. I am convinced the more time we spend listening, the clearer the voice of God will be for us. There are times, some days, not every day, but in my morning prayer time, when God shows me a vision for First Methodist Carrollton, in this vision I see a church where people are growing closer and deeper in their relationship with Christ. I see excitement that is growing and moving in the hallways, in the children and youth departments, in our adult Sunday school classes, and in the groups that meet during the week. I, 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 I see the excitement that is building and how the Spirit is flowing, and that all those who walk through these doors experience that Spirit and the love of God through Jesus Christ that comes through this community. I see... lives being changed, relationships grow stronger, and a connected community burning with the desire to do the things of God, I see the eternal spiritual rivers flow with abundance, not only here, but in every neighborhood that we can touch. I see people making a difference in the community for those who need hope. I see people focused on love-driven justice instead of the politics of the day. I see a church setting an example of grace, reconciliation, community in a divided culture. I see people finding their purpose and becoming more like Jesus because as we grow closer to Christ and as that spirit is let go, as the ever-flowing waters of Jesus Christ, so we become the person God has created us to be. So, sometimes the world seems like a desert. We have a choice. Will we have eyes to see only death and despair? Or will we have eyes to see the beauty that God has for us? We have a decision. Will we open the floodgates to the sweet nectar of the Holy Spirit that runs like a river through all eternity? Will we? On this day... The weekend of Martin Luther King. I want to close with a quote from him as he kind of speaks to this. Here's what he says. Faith is taking the first step even when we don't see the whole staircase. So I say to you, seek God and discover, discover him and make a power in your life. 
Without him, all our efforts turn to ashes and our sun rises to darkest night. Without him, life is meaningless drama with the decisive scenes missing. But with him, we are able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. With him, we are able to rise from the midnight of desperation to the daybreak of joy. St. Augustine was right. We were made for God. And we will be restless until we find rest in him. We have a choice.